0: There's always the sort of one axis is like, how big is this opportunity or what would the impact of doing this be? But then a lot of times you have to also look at it in terms of ease of implementation or the effort required or what it takes to make something happen. And it's about finding a strategy that can move you forward, can move the business forward, but is also not gonna cripple you in terms of implementation.
1: Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. I'm excited to have our next guest, Farah Zied, who is the head of Insights at Depop, a mobile marketplace for creatives. Prior to that, she was the CEO of Threads and the head of Special Projects at Uncover. Farah, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Really exciting. I I can't wait to hear about your journey, the things you're working on right now. But let's start with your, your background and where you got started. You know, we had talked before and you mentioned your love for food and you almost went to culinary school, but then you chose business instead. Can you kind of tell us the story around that and got what got kind of you started in business in general?
0: Yeah, sure. So um I mean, I grew up in the Middle East. Food is one of the things it's it's a, the region has its troubles, but food is one thing we excel at. So it's um always been something in my blood. I have I'm lucky to have two grandmothers who are both excellent excellent cooks and so I've always loved food. I've always been hands-on with it. But I think I first fell in love with sort of haute cuisine properly when I was about I don't know, maybe 22. Um right after I got my first paycheck. Um I went to the French Laundry in Napa and that was my kind of first wow. Michelin star food experience and it was wow. Um and so that's kind of when my my love of food as a potentially as a profession more than just a sort of something you do at home um started. Um and so I started buying cookbooks and trying to replicate some of the stuff that I tried in restaurants and that's where my Um, sort of almost almost nerdy love of food came, like the chemistry of it and how, you know, the alchemy of how you, you put ingredients together and like with time and love and energy, they turn into something completely different. That's when that started. So yeah, I mean, I toyed with the idea for a while of going to culinary school, but ultimately I think I realized that It's maybe not something I would enjoy doing every single day as my job. And the reason I enjoyed it is because I did it as a hobby and as an escape. Um, So yeah, back to business it was.
1: (laughs) And what was that first paycheck? You said once you got your first paycheck, you went to French Laundry, which... What a great choice! But uh, just kind of curious, how your career really started.
0: So my first job ever was with McKinsey and Company. Um, so when I when I graduated from my undergrad, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and I did a bunch of research around, you know, what career options would open doors and would give me flexibility to to um, make a choice further down the line. Um, and it landed in management consulting, um, and so that was my my first job baptism by fire i'll
1: tell you for those listeners who don't know what it is to be a management consultant i I had my own stint and i think it's quite different than you know the jobs that people have in growth and marketing tell us a little bit about how that life is like and and maybe think how it prepared you for you know your job today and your, your your past few jobs Sure.
0: Yeah. I don't even, I don't really know where to start because it was the best and worst thing that happened to me, probably for, for those who don't know, um, with management consulting, you essentially have a pool of generalist consultants who are trained with kind of a generalist skill set. And we get kind of staffed on different projects in different industries, different functions, um, working with clients. Um, and the idea is that this generalist skill set gives you, um, the tools that you need to crack any business problem and think about any, decompose any business problem. So it was a really, really, really good training ground for the, the jobs that I've had since. And um, it really taught me how to think. It taught me how to break down a problem into simpler pieces that can be tackled. It taught me how to structure thoughts, how to communicate with different stakeholders. It taught me how to survive on two hours of sleep. <laughs> So um, it was really good training, but it was very tough. Obviously, there was a lot of travel involved. That was nice for my frequent flyer status. But yeah, it was it was a tough job and certainly a tough first job. But I think because of that, most working hours seem reasonable as a result, which is, uh, you know, silver linings.
1: So management consulting and then what happened after? Tell us a little bit about your career journey bringing us to today
0: after I finished my um, stint at McKinsey was around the time that I was toying with the idea of going to culinary school. And it's something, I mean, it's still something that I haven't ruled out, but it was at a point in my career where it was still early on and I needed to, my next career move needed to be something that would move my career forward and not move my hobbies forward. And so ultimately decided not to go to culinary school, ended up going to business school instead, which was kind of the, almost the standard next step in the management consultant path. Um, But yeah, I ended up going to London business school, moving to London.
1: What what made you, you know, you went to undergrad in US. uh, What made you choose an international business school versus there's like some great business schools in the States as well?
0: was the desire for something different so I felt like I'd experienced the the American campus college experience and I had such a a fabulous time at Stanford when I was there for my undergrad and I felt like I'd I almost didn't want to ruin that memory of like such a such a wonderful time um, by going back to somewhere like Stanford yeah I wanted to do something quite different move to London be in more of an urban environment. My husband, incidentally, is British, and so that helped as well. Um, So, yeah.
1: (laughs) So what happened after business school? How did you decide? And, you know, I think business school, many people look at it as a reset. I certainly did. I switched careers and started doing marketing, and I was doing product engineering before. So I feel like sometimes after business school, you can also almost like relaunch yourself. But you chose one path versus you probably had many open to you. What is the path that you chose for those of you who don't know yet? And and what made you choose that path?
0: You're right. A lot of people do choose business school as a reset. Some people go to business school to kind of take a break, almost. Um, Some people do it because they want to build a network. It helps you move industry or move city. In my case, it was to fill in. It gives you a credibility that, you know, on paper, having an MBA is a really useful thing. The paths that were available to me afterwards were I could either go back to consulting, which is a path that lots of management consultants, especially if you get sponsored by your consulting firm, lots of people choose that path. I felt like I could always go back to consulting if I wanted to. And I actually ended up going back to a slightly different version of consulting, but I did loop back to it. But at the time, I felt like I wanted a different challenge. And I'd always been interested in startups. And one opportunity kind of fell in my lap. So with Uncover, it was actually founded by three LBS. They weren't my classmates. They were in the year above me. I met them through LBS. And loved the idea. It was in the food space, in the restaurant space. So It kind of felt like a perfect match.
1: What was it? What was Uncover?
0: So Uncover was an app that aggregated last-minute availability at restaurants. Um, so the top restaurants in London are typically booked out months in advance. Sometimes, you know, if you're lucky, you can get reservations a week in advance. But actually, the founders realized that there's a lot of churn at the last minute. So people either don't show up or they size down their reservation. And that last bit of occupancy is pure profit for the restaurants. So they have a vested interest in filling it. And this app was kind of a curated list of best restaurants and, and their last minute availability. So I love the idea knew the founders, had heard great things. So yeah, it felt like a really great opportunity. So I actually spent the second year of my MBA working with them on a number of special projects, um, helping them get Apple Pay set up, helping them start to think about matching algorithms and things like that, and then helping with their expansion strategy, which was really fun.
1: So what happened after business school? In what direction did you end up going?
0: I actually would have loved to stay with Uncover, but they had um, not raised a big enough round to hire me full time. So I ended up joining a different company, which was also a startup at the time called Threads. And I worked there. Officially, I was looking after operations, but I think unofficially it was everything, really, because it was quite a... You know anything that needed to be done, um, helping the founder with with that stuff. It was quite early stage at the time. I mean, Threads is still around and doing really well, but at the time it was about thirty people, so it was in a very different stage of its journey.
1: So uh, after Threads, you went back to consulting for a little bit, and then Deepop.
0: Almost by accident, went back to consulting. Yes, because I, I took a few months off, and then wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I took on a short term contract, which actually turned into probably one of my longer jobs. (laughs) So I took on a contract helping the commercial function at Gatwick Airport do some analytics work. um, And that's how I fell into analytics specifically. So I'd done quite a bit of analytics heavy work as an analyst at McKinsey. But that's when it really rekindled my love for numbers and data and so yeah, I ended up working with Gatwick for quite a bit, and then um, I worked with a number of other clients as a freelancer, like Visa, on, on very analytics-heavy work.
1: Tell us a little bit about your role today at Deepop, what it involves, how your day-to-day looks like, and what do you think your your role is in driving the growth of the company?
0: Sure. So um, officially, I'm head of insights at Depop. Um I run the team of analysts who support the business with all of the sort of data and analytics needs. Essentially what that means is helping different business stakeholders make decisions based on data, based on numbers. So the analysts on my team are all embedded within different teams within the company. Some of them support product teams, some of them support commercial teams, and we crunch the numbers that help business the business make decisions.
1: That's awesome. You've done a lot of like varied and interesting. You've had a lot of different experiences. Tell us about maybe some of your favorite interesting projects that you've worked on that help drive uh, growth, either for a company that you work for or for a client. Um, I think sometimes people learn the most from stories and examples. And I'm looking for one that maybe was super successful. And then if you have one that maybe wasn't as successful, we sometimes learn as much from our mistakes as well.
0: Sure. I'll start with a success story. So I did a big piece of work, as I said, with Visa. I'm not going to talk about the success story with Depop at this stage because we're kind of like in the middle. I'm I'm quite new at Depop, but I'll talk about an example at Visa where I joined at a time where they were forming a new division of the company. So um, Visa historically has worked with banks, so on the issuing side and the acquiring side the relationships have been quite institutional. And quite recently, they've also started working with merchants more closely. Um, And so I joined the team that was starting to to look after merchants directly. Um, And it was a very new way of, of working. And that meant new challenges in terms of how they access data. And like, you know, it goes from in every market, there's a handful of banks to millions and millions of merchants. And so it was a, a very different um, way of looking at the data. And so it was essentially a blank slate where I was given access to all this data and said they said, go. And so it, for me, that's when I really realized the power of when you're telling a story that's based on numbers, people listen. So essentially I dug into the data and made it very visual in, in lots of different ways. And it, it helped tell the story of actually you know, this is the lay of the land, which maybe was slightly counterintuitive. But yeah, I love that project because it was, I'm struggling to tell this story without giving away confidential information, but it, it was just so interesting to, to have access to, if you think about Visa, I mean, billions yeah. of transactions go through their systems every day and like being able to plot out things like, people's behavior, which is extremely predictable. And like, you know, you can see which, um, you can see coffee merchants spiking in the morning and you can see the tube in London spiking at certain hours of the day. And you can, you can kind of plot out the journey of like an average wow. Londoner, for example, but then you can also look at like pockets of where people spend money. And so it was really just such a fun to fun data set to have access to and, and play around with. And having access to that helped me help them build a strategy around it. So that was great. Sorry, I'm rambling, but...
1: <laughs> no, no. I think I think so. The hardest thing when sometimes uh, I've worked with data is sometimes I get overwhelmed by all the insights. So I'm kind of curious. though I don't want you to give out things that you can't, but you had this amazing pool of data. How did you think about the strategy and how to, to prioritize and how did you make sure that like your you actually had insights that turned into projects and actual action items for the company too because sometimes you see all these insights and sometimes it's really hard to think what's the next step
0: yeah i think that's where my um Management consultant training comes in handy. Like, I'm sure you'll know what I'm, what I mean, but I think in two by two matrices all the time. And so there's always the, the sort of one axis is like, how big is this opportunity? Or, you know, what, what would the impact of doing this be? But then a lot of times you kind of have to also look at it in terms of ease of implementation or the effort required or, you know, what it takes to make something happen. And some some of the biggest prizes often are the, the hardest to implement. And the, the key is to identify opportunities that have, you know, they're their relatively high impact, but also maybe medium to low ease of implementation. And those tend to be again, to use consultant jargon, the low-hanging fruit. So yeah, I think the key for me that I've learned is never to assess anything based on one dimension or one set of criteria. It has to be a a sort of almost an index of lots of different things to to consider because, you know, yeah, some of the biggest prizes are the hardest to implement. um, And it's about finding a strategy that can move you forward, can move move the business forward, but is also not going to cripple you in terms of implementation.
1: No, I think that's great. That's great advice. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned you also had a story that maybe wasn't as successful and and, and maybe your learnings from that.
0: Having worked in the world of startups, what I've realized is so much of it is around like your competence and your ability as an individual is one thing, but so much of it is about interpersonal relationships and and chemistry. And I think a lot of times when you work in a startup, it, that's even more important than whether you can do a job or not. And so some of the stories where maybe it's been harder to get things done are, are areas where working in a startup where it's potentially very founder driven, or they have a vision that doesn't agree with yours and moving forward sometimes can be quite difficult. And ultimately that's why, you know, sometimes relationship, it's it's like being in a marriage, you know, when, when it's yeah. such a close um, relationship, reflecting back on kind of moments where maybe I didn't get as much done or yeah, it's, it's about navigating that, those interpersonal relationships as much as it is about navigating the work.
1: We probably have a lot of listeners who are thinking of joining startups. Any advice on how to sass that out earlier in the interview process, or any tips for how to like test it out before you, you know, maybe leave a very secure job to join a company where you might not be the right fit?
0: To be honest, I think it's about meeting as many people as possible throughout the interview process. I know that can sound daunting for Depop. I think I had like seven or eight interviews before I was hired. And at the time it felt like it was really cumbersome and it was a lot, but actually um, it meant that I knew a lot of people and a lot of the stakeholders that I now interact with on a day-to-day basis before I joined and there weren't any red flags. And so that's great. It's harder when it's a smaller company and there aren't that many people to meet. But I would say this is a cliche, and I'm, I'm sure you hear it all the time. But it's all about the people, and and that's you know I, that's something that I learned actually quite early on at McKinsey, where one of the partners I worked with told me never to choose projects based on the content to choose them based on the team because that's where like that's where your learning comes and that's what makes or breaks you if you have great managers and great teammates then you succeed as a consultant typically and if you don't then I learned that actually it could make your life quite miserable I mean if you're working 20 hours a day then you definitely want to be working with people you, you like
1: It sounds like it's obvious, but I actually think so many people make the decision based on how cool a startup is or how much funding they got, not always on the people. So I think... I mean, don't get
0: me wrong. It it has to be a cool business as well. and like You have to like what you do. We spend more time at work than anything else, really. So it has to be something you love. But I think it can't just be something that you think is cool and interesting, but the people you work with aren't great because at the end of the day it has to be it has to be a balance of both and if i had to choose one or, over the other i would choose great people i think
1: so you've also had a very varied type of jobs right so you've you've been a consulting for and consulting for a big company you've done consulting kind of on your own and you have worked for actual startups and you've worked for larger startups like what's your favorite uh, lifestyle and why and and when people choose that I've I've heard people in bigger companies thinking they want to go and consult on their own I've heard the opposite what should they consider when they think about the difference between these different lifestyles
0: to be honest I don't know that there's a, an answer for that I think for me it depends on sort of the life stage that you're at and like what stage of your career you're in um so I think Starting out in a big company like McKinsey was really good training. It was like boot camp. It was, you know, the start of my career and it really gave me a very regimented way of thinking about business, of breaking down problems. And so I think that was, for me at the time, the right decision. Working as a freelancer more recently, it was great at the the life stage that I was at, which was, you know, around the time of my wedding. I was building a skill set around analytics that choosing my own projects allowed me to do. Whereas if I had worked at a big consulting company, I maybe would have had less flexibility choosing the work that I wanted to do. And I think moving to a company like Depop now was the right move for my career at this stage of my career. So I think it really depends on where you're at in terms of what you're trying to achieve with your career. So uh, for me, th- at this junction, it was really important for me to work with a team and manage a team and sort of move up the managerial career ladder. And that's why I made the choice to come to Depop over the, the freelancer life. So I think it, it really depends on, like work really has to fit in with your life because you spend so much of your life at work and it's such a big component of, you know, our happiness and all that stuff. So there's no, there's no answer to what's better. I think it's what's best for you now at this stage of your life.
1: There's a lot of people who want to get jobs that are more data-driven, go into insights, who may not have the background or have gone to consulting. Do you have any suggestions for ways they can get better at analyzing data, keep on top of latest technologies? Do you have any favorite tools that you use?
0: There's a lot of resource online now that you can use to learn basic analytics tools. Like, you know, you can learn SQL on Code Academy. That's actually probably how I first learned it you can learn lots of coding languages python whatever you want essentially on online these days i like code academy but there's lots of other tools out there that do the same thing and then if you want a bit more of like a structured environment to learn these things i did actually did a data science course with general assembly i think that gave me a bit more of a solid foundation for i don't i'm not a data scientist i don't necessarily use lots of those tools in my day to day but I have the ability to if I need to do that to supplement the work that we're doing as a team or to kind of do an extra bit of analysis. I think that gives you a really solid intro into the general assembly course in particular uses Python. I think those things are available to everybody really. And then in terms of I think the other thing that's important is getting some work experience on your CV in those in those domains and that's just a a matter of interviewing, putting yourself out there and demonstrating that you can do the job. So for example, when we interview for analysts at Depop, what we care about less, the experience matters less than the ability to do the job. So if somebody comes to the interview, does really well in the presentation and demonstrates a really solid commercial acumen, demonstrates a solid technical skill set, it doesn't matter as much whether or not they've worked in the field for, for long or not, because if they can do the job, they can do the job. So yeah, I would say just kind of practice, read a lot of articles about analytics, analyzing data and thinking about data in a structured ways is good practice.
1: So any advice you have for people uh, starting their careers, uh, trying to have a career in insights and and just in general, as people think about like having a career in growth, insights, wanting to become a leader, any advice for what they can do today?
0: Having started my career in a setting that gave me such a general skill set, what I would say is don't close any doors too early on. Like Try to keep your, keep an open mind about, what jobs or what entry points you could start your career in? Think outside the box in terms of, okay, well, if, if, you know, there's something on your CV you feel is not going to help you get a job in a specific area, then what could you be doing to demonstrate that you have the ability or you have the interest or you have the acumen to do a specific job, even if you don't have the experience? There's lots of courses online, as I said, that you can you can take. Lots of people you can speak to. Lots of books you can read that kind of shed light on different parts of different roles. It's a tough question because everybody's path is kind of dependent on the earlier steps in their path. But definitely switching careers. I mean, I for people who are looking to make drastic career moves, business school is also a good option. I would recommend it. I mean at the end of the day, different people have different experiences at business school and they get different things out of it. For some people, it's the the hard learning. For some people, it's the case studies that you do and, you know, the things that you think about five years down the line. You're like, how do I even remember this? But then it's relevant to something you're doing. Um, so yeah, business school for me was a, was a great experience. I loved it.
1: I think that's great advice. Everyone's career and path is different and kind of thinking what it means for you and and, and putting that out and trying new things. Uh, And I think Business School helped me, similar to you, to start a company, switch careers. So I think everyone gets a very different experience, but um, I think that's great advice. So thank you so much. This was super interesting. Loved hearing about your experiences and advice. So thank you for joining us today, Farah.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.